Just before the dawn breaks, as the first rays of sunshine come peeking over the horizon, look to the eastern sky, look hard, and you'll see a bright light shining in the night. Through the ages, this has been known as the morning star. Today, we know this as the planet Venus. But this isn't the only morning star. Scripture also talks about the bright and morning star, which is one of the Bible's many names for Jesus. Merry Christmas from all of us at Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and in today's sermon, we're going to learn more about the star in Scripture as Dr. J. Vernon McGee leads us in another great study through God's Word. But before we begin our message, the bright and morning star and the sun of righteousness, Greg and I would like to share some great things that we have to praise God for this year. Merry Christmas, Steve. Merry Christmas to you too, Greg. (laughs) Thank you, and Merry Christmas. You already wished our listening family Merry Christmas, but I also would like to uh, say with gratitude and joy in my heart, Merry Christmas and thank you to everyone that is part of this amazing movement of God that is, in a lot of ways, it's the manifestation of the Christmas story. Glory to God in the highest, peace to his people on earth. It is... We are we are spreading the good news of not only his birth but his death and resurrection to the world and we've got we always have more letters than we could possibly read but we want to encourage you as you reflect on Jesus birth on Christmas day what God is now doing in the world as a result of his life death and resurrection yeah I mean with the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost yes. uh, just the movement of the spirit and how his word has gone out throughout the world is just incredible and if you wonder Where's God moving today? You know, I'm not seeing the results that I think we should be seeing. Well, you're obviously not on our world (laughs) prayer team. And you can do that by going to ttb.org forward slash pray. And you're going to hear letters and stories and testimonies that are like what we're reading on the program every day. You'll get it in your email Monday through Friday. It'll revolutionize the way you go through your inbox. And it'll also revolutionize your prayer life, knowing that the Holy Spirit is moving in miraculous ways throughout the world, calling people to himself. And here is a perfect example of that. We're going to hear from Tabitha in Pakistan. This is one of the toughest places Mm. on earth to be a Christian. She says this, As a teenager, I was far away from God and uncomfortable with my daily existence. Then, and see, I love this. All our letters have this turning point. Then something. Then I turned the radio. Then a neighbor. In this case, she says, Then a neighbor asked me to visit a listening group where I heard God's offer to save me. At first, this seemed too good to be true, but the idea was intriguing. Little by little, learning about how Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead changed my life. Hmm. I felt a quest for salvation within me. I began reading the Bible, and I soon repented from my sins. At 18, I was baptized in water. Amen. Now I have a wonderful experience of having the surety that I am a saved person. I know I am God's child, and I am assured he loves me. What a sweet, sweet gift. I pray others hear about him and come before Jesus with humility. Oh, my goodness. Greg, there are so many pieces in this letter that I'm just excited (laughs) about. I mean, one is, in the past, we would have heard, I turned on the radio. We still get some of those stories. Turned on the radio and started listening, came to Christ. This person goes to a listening group, which is our our home group model, and it's having such a huge impact. And then the other thing is, as I've said before— you know, the more separate, I mean, there's probably no place more different in the than the U.S. and Canada than, than living in Pakistan. Mm. And yet here's a teenager, a teenage girl, yeah. and I just read today an article about they're estimating that two out of five 
uh, teenagers suffer from depression. And this girl says, I was uncomfortable with my daily existence. At some level, she was depressed and not comfortable with who she was, but God. Yeah. You know, saved her, understands that she's a sinner and has a new life in Christ. And it happens, thankfully, all over the world, U.S. and Canada, but it's happening in places like Pakistan. And you got to be excited about that. And it's happening through other believers. Her neighbor led her to Christ. We hear these stories all the time. Okay, let's get to the next letter. You want to read this one? Yeah, this is from uh, Bopa in Cambodia. And this is what this person says. I thank God for letting me be his child, even in this old age of mine. This is so key that to know that they're getting good doctrine. God has chosen me to be delivered from the darkness of my sin nature to live in the light of his grace. Through the name and the blood of Jesus Christ, I have been saved from sin. Through the Bible is always alongside me as sometimes I cannot go to church because of my old body. But because of my new nature, I am hungry to hear from God. He speaks to me directly through you. Glory to God. May his name be praised on the airwaves long after I have gone home to be with him. (laughs) So we've covered two difficult countries to live in, Cambodia, Pakistan. We've also heard from someone young and someone older. Someone listening in a small group, someone Someone listening listening on the radio. radio. This is why we love to say we're just flinging it out there in every way possible. If it were carrier pigeons that worked, we'd use those, but we haven't figured out a way to do that, not economically. Now, here's one more we have time for. A brother in Ethiopia shares this. Thank you for encouraging us not to lose hope. Hmm. Ethiopia, another incredibly difficult country to live in, Steve. This letter goes on. I was depressed for several years, and I tried to take my own life. Several people who are called, quote, prophets, unquote, in my area came to pray over me. None of it helped. That's when I heard your program about the hope we can find in Jesus Christ and the everlasting life we are offered through his sacrifice on the cross. Although I was not immediately cured, I felt different every time I listened. Hmm. Gradually, my thoughts changed as I began to know God. Your explanations were true. I began to feel like a new creature, one with a different purpose and meaningful life. Man, oh my goodness. That, there's just, again, Steve, so, if, if those were the only three letters we got after a year of ministry, I would be excited about yeah, that. Yeah, but wait, but there's wait, more. There's we more. got time for one more. We've got Silvio in the United States. This is another great story and representative of why we're in so many different countries and languages. Listen to this. After all these years, I found you. May God bless you. I am Guatemalan, but now live in the U.S. Many years ago, I listened to you on Radio Cultural in Guatemala. Although I wasn't a Christian, it caught my attention. Decades later, I have found Christ and my whole family is blessed by the program. I truly believe you have been placed by God on the earth to build up the church. I pray everyone would hear through the Bible and know God. Please keep broadcasting in Spanish here in the United States and around the world. Okay, if we got just those four letters, Steve, I would be. I mean, this is, you, uh, folks, this is why we do what we do, and we get thousands of these responses, and we're just so grateful. Yeah, we sure are. Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin our study? Father, you know our hearts are full of joy as on this day we remember the birth of your son and all of that change in history and change in the eternal impact and destiny of so many of us around the world. Thank you that you came to this earth so that we could be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's the Sunday Sermon on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Our subject of the morning is the bright and morning star 
and the sun of righteousness. Astronomy is the oldest science that is known to man. Like many other sciences, it had its origin in the occult and the superstitious, the mythological and the mystical. Chemistry, for instance, was first alchemy, and the desire of those early chemists was to try to transmute the baser metals into silver and gold, and to try to prolong life indefinitely. But then it became a science that's known today as chemistry. Well, astronomy was known at first as astrology, and it began filled with superstitions of all sorts. The Bible actually gives a warning against it, and many folk, even to this good day, believe that somehow or another the stars affect their lives that somehow or another, if they are born under a certain star, that it means that they're a certain kind of a person. May I say that that sort of thing is pure bunk because of the fact the stars have no effect whatsoever upon us today in that sense of who we are or what we accomplish or our nature. The heavenly bodies at first, though, were observed by men with the naked eye. The thing that drew them to the heavens was curiosity and the beauty of the heavens. Then there came a day when the mechanical eye was invented, and at first astronomy was just a pure science. It didn't seem to have any practical benefit, but today all that has been changed. Last night, on top of Mount Wilson and down at Palomar, men kept a lonely vigil through the night, looking at the stars. And they're looking at the stars in a new way. They're looking at them with, for a new meaning today. Actually, they're looking out there trying to find a place for man to go. Maybe out yonder somewhere there's a better place than this earth on which we live. And right now they're looking for a landing field out yonder somewhere. There is today the possibility of visiting the moon or some planet. And a few nights ago, men were in a gondola underneath a bulging balloon, and they were up about 80,000 feet. And they spent the night in observing the morning star and the evening star that we call Venus. And they came down with the astounding news that there is probably vapor on Venus. There may be water on the planet. And why not? There may be. And if it's so, the Metropolitan Water Department of Los Angeles ought to get in touch with them. Because if this dry spell continues, we're going to have to pipe it from Venus, my beloved, to get water for Southern California's parched ground and parched lips. Now, the Word of God turns man's attention repeatedly to the heavens. The Scripture again and again would have man lift up his eyes from down here 
and look into the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night under night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language. The heavens do not speak English, yet they speak to every Englishman. They do not speak any of the native languages of Africa, yet they speak in every language to every people. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the psalmist said, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? When you and I look out today, and with all of the new information that has come, we can ask the question again, what is man in relationship to this universe? A famous astronomer in London giving a report before a group of astronomers after he had spoken of something of the vastness of this universe, he asked the question, he says, what is man? And a Christian astronomer there says, he is the astronomer. He is the one that looks out and measures all of this. God told him, my beloved, to look out. In fact, God told the, the first man that he called aside to make a nation, and he offered him a land. But even to that man, God said to him, look now toward heaven and see if you can number the stars. When God spoke to Abraham. And so God has called man's attention to the heavens. The Old Testament closes with God directing man to look to the heavens. And friends, it's well that God did that in this last book. It's well that God told man to look out to the heavens because the Old Testament, it goes down with a thud. It closes in darkness. The curtain comes down upon the human story before it's completed. It comes down at the end of the first act. It's the time that the tragedy has come. And sin has entered into the human family. And darkness closes in on man. And there's a little fella who said that looked in on TV as he walked in the room. He says that, are the good guys or the bad guys winning? And friends, when you close the Old Testament, the bad guys are winning. And the Old Testament closes like this, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. May I say the Old Testament then goes down in darkness, if you please. But God says, look up at the heavens. And don't miss it, because it's important if you just got your nose on this little earth. The Old Testament becomes the most disappointing book that's ever been written. It comes to no conclusion. It presents no final answer to the problems of this earth at all. But the Old Testament directs us to look up and it says to us, listen to verse 2 of this last chapter of Malachi, But unto you that fear my name 
shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And so the Old Testament goes down in darkness, but the Old Testament goes down pointing its finger to the east, to the sunrise, and it says that you and I are to look in that direction because there's the promise of a sunrise. I never did care too much for the song, the world is waiting for the sunrise, but it is. We're in darkness today, and the world is in darkness, but we're waiting for the sunrise. Kipling in his road to Mandalay says, the sun comes up like thunder out of China across the bay. Well, the sun comes up like thunder. When you close the book of Malachi, God says the Son of Righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings. The Old Testament is expectation. It doesn't conclude anything. But it points us to the heavens. It points us to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of Righteousness. And friends, that's a fitting figure because he comes to usher in a new day. He comes to end the night of sin, man's sin, and bring in the day of the Lord, the kingdom of God upon this earth. And God is called the Son in the Old Testament. Here is another example of the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is called the Son. For instance, in Psalm 84, verse 11, I read, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. He's a sun. He's light. Brings in a new day, and he's a shield. He's a protection, and he gives grace and glory. And then Isaiah in the 60th chapter says, in verse 19, The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. But the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. You and I have been given physical eyes that can't even look at the physical sun. Actually, we don't see very much light. We don't see very much of anything, for that matter. But there is coming a day when this universe now, with the curse of sin upon it, God retreated, as it were, and drew in his glory. And when he did, he lighted a few candles and put them out in his universe. You see them at night. Actually, you and I live in a universe that's awfully dark, unspeakably dark. And just a few little pinpoints of light out yonder in space. That's all. But the day's coming when he says, No longer will it be necessary to have these little candles. You can put them out because he's coming. And when he comes out again in all of his glory, he comes as the Son of Righteousness. 
And you won't need these physical origins of light. After all, they tell us today that the sun is expanding itself. It can't go for eternity. Oh, it'll go a few more million years. Doesn't worry me. But it'll run out someday. And the Lord God is to be the light in his universe. You and I have never seen light yet. He is the son of righteousness that's yet to rise with healing in his wings. And the Old Testament calls him the son of righteousness, and he's presented as the son of the heavens. But when you come to the New Testament, it's not so. You don't find him presented as the son here. You see, the Old Testament is expectation. The New Testament is realization. And the New Testament closes in an altogether different way. I want to turn, and will you listen again? Revelation 22, Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And now I drop down to verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He's presented in the New Testament as the bright and morning star. And the New Testament does not open where the Old Testament leaves off. The Old Testament said you are to watch for the Son of Righteousness, and the New Testament does not open with the Son of Righteousness. Have you noticed how it opened? Opened first privately. The angel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias serving yonder at the altar of incense. Then the angel Gabriel made a visit to the virgin yonder in Nazareth. It was a private visit. And he again appeared under Joseph. It was all private. But when the public announcement was made, there came out of the east wise men. And they walked down the streets of Jerusalem and said, Where is he that's born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. Not the sun but the star. We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Somebody sent me quite a paper this past week showing that certain astronomers say that at this time there was no natural star in the heavens. Of course, astronomers disagree on that. Some believe that at that time there was a converging of actually Venus with another star that gave an unusual brightness. Now, candidly, I don't take up with either one of the stories. I believe that God hung in the heaven something supernatural, something new, his star. And out of the east, these men who had been studying the stars, who had never seen anything like it, they began to converge on Jerusalem. And if you think there were just three little wise men there, you need to read the story again, probably 300. They came from every direction. They came from all the countries of the mysterious Orient and East. 
And they said, we've seen his star, and we've come to worship him. Now, how did they associate the coming of Christ as the king with a star? I say to you very candidly, they didn't get it from Malachi. Malachi offered no suggestion like that. If you want to know where they found it, you'll have to get in a gondola this morning of a heathen prophet and go aloft with him, Balaam. Back in the book of Numbers, this heathen prophet who had a message from God, and here's what he said. He gave four prophecies concerning the nation Israel, and the last one that he gave was this one in Numbers 24, 17. I shall see him, but not now. The one of whom I'm speaking is not present yet. I shall behold him, but not nigh. This is not going to happen in the next few years. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, smite the corners of Moab, destroy all the children of Sheth. Out yonder in a pagan heathen land, there was given this prophecy to the Gentiles that a star was coming. And they were to watch for a star, if you please. And they had that prophecy in that area. And they were looking for a star, and when they saw it, they converged on Jerusalem. The star is the sign of his first coming. The sun is the sign of his second coming to this earth. The entire mission of Christ 1,900 years ago is wrapped up in a star. We always emphasize the birth and the star, and we have even on our Christmas cards a star. My beloved, you can put a star above the cross, for his entire coming is wrapped up in the star, if you please. And it's not his birth that needs emphasizing, it's his death that needs emphasizing, and that star sets forth his death. Had you ever noticed he never asked us to remember his birth? And none of the New Testament writers ever asked us to remember his birth? And as far as I can tell, the early church never seemed to recognize his birth at all. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to change your calendar, and I don't intend to get rid of Christmas. Wish we could improve it, but uh, I don't intend to try to get rid of it. But they didn't remember his birth. But the thing he did ask us to remember is this table that you see down here in front this morning. He says, this do in remembrance of me. Not put up a Christmas tree, but come around the table. This do in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, Ye show forth the Lord's death till he come. There's a star over this table, for his entire coming the first time is wrapped up in a, in a star. And I'm happy that this month in which we remember his birth, that we're going to have this table here twice. It should be. Let's remember his birth, but... Let's connect his death with it, because it's his death that brings life to you and me. The death of Christ is in that star. 
as well as his birth. It's not only where he was born, but why he died. That's what the star tells out. It tells who he is. It tells why he came. And it tells why he died. It is the star speaking that says, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it's written of me to do thy will, O God. A body hast thou prepared me. Yundred Bethlehem. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But this one, born of the Virgin Mary, grew to manhood, is to be nailed to a cross for the sins of the world. And that's wrapped up in the star. The star points to the manger, yes, but it points to the cross. It was during World War II in the city of New York. One evening, a, a father took his little boy down the street for a walk. And you remember during World War II that when a, a boy had gone from a home, a son or a husband, a star was put in the window, a blue star. And then if that boy was killed, that star was gold. And the little fella had a lot of fun that evening as he walked down as a crisp, cold December evening. And as they walked down, why, he'd say, they gave a son. He'd go down, maybe past two or three houses and see another star. And he says, they gave a son. And then he'd see a gold star and say, that boy died. Come to another, they gave a son. And finally, he came to a vacant lot. And when he came to the vacant lot, the little fellow turned and looked. And in the heavens was the evening star that's the morning star, Venus. And the little fellow looked at it for just a moment. And he says, look, Daddy, God must have given his son because he's got a gold star in his window. Yes, God put a gold star in his window to let the world know. He was giving a son not to be born primarily, but to die on a cross for the sins of the world. We've had two world wars in this century. Nothing was won. World War I was fought to make the world safe for democracy. It didn't. The last world war was fought to bring peace to the world. Free men from dictators. I have the statement here that Mr. Churchill and Mr. Roosevelt signed. Let me read it. This is just the sixth statement. After the final destruction of the Nazi tyranny, they hope to see established a peace which will afford to all nations the means of dwelling in safety within their own boundaries and which will afford assurance that all the men in all the lands may live out their lives in freedom from fear and want. Didn't work, did it? They didn't make the world safe. They made the world very unsafe. And this earth today is 
the most dreadful place in the world to live, an atomic bomb, and something 10,000 times more frightful could go off at any moment. The world is unsafe. They didn't get rid of dictators. They made the world safe for dictators. And they're more today than they've ever been. And we won the war, but we lost the victory. But there came to this earth 1,900 years ago the Son of God. God gave his Son in the war against sin. He died to bring men life. He died to free men from sin. And he brought a victory the like of which this world has never had. The victory over grave and death, so that the apostle could say and we can say, O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? My friend, today the future, your future, and my future is not in the stars. Shakespeare has Mark Antony say to Brutus, it's not in our stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings. And our problem today is not that we got under the wrong star. Our problem's right in here today, friends. He came to deal with the problem that's in here. Our hope today is not in stars, but in the one who is the bright and the morning star. He brings help for the present. He today alone can enable you to live victoriously in this life. Listen to him. In John 16, 33, these things I've spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's no help in the stars for you. But today you can look to Jesus, the bright and morning star, and he can bring help to you. As we approach this Christmas season, are you defeated and discouraged? You've been looking for some magic formula, lady luck or chance? The dice haven't rolled right for you in life, have they? Or maybe you're doing like a great many godless people are doing today, adopting fatalism, which is modern superstition. It's just going to work out this way. Are you defeated today by life? Is it too much for you today? Are you overcome today by some habit? Has drink got you? Dishonesty worrying you? You have trouble telling the truth? You have a temper you cannot control. Have you all been overcome today by sex? What is it today that's defeating you? Is materialism today so absorbed your life that you're cold and indifferent to the spiritual today? My friend, he's able to save you to the uttermost. There's no help in stars, but there's help in him the bright and morning star. Not only that, there's hope for the future. Have you ever noticed how this is so accurate? You see, the bright and morning star always appears right before the sunrise. I remember going back east on the Super Chief, and I waked up rather early that morning. It was dark outside, and I put up the, the shade, and 
looked out across the desert. We were somewhere the other side, Kingman, Arizona, and all of a sudden when we made a turn, I could see a light in the east, and I thought at first must be a fire. Then I saw it was not. I looked at my watch. It couldn't be the sun coming up that time of the day. And then I kept watching. It got brighter and brighter. It was almost as bright as the sun. And then there came the bright morning star over the horizon. At the darkest time of the night, the bright and morning star appears. For the church, he's the bright and morning star. He appears in the darkest part of the night to take those that is on out of the world. Then I waited. My fact of the matter is I got impatient, and I turned over and tried to go to sleep again, dozed, and then I turned over, and again there's a light. The bright morning star is way up yonder now. But there appears on the horizon the evidence that the sun is coming up, and in a moment the sun came marching up over that desert horizon in all of its majesty. And I thought, at the darkest part of the night, and it's dark right now, he'll take those that are his own out of this world. Then he comes to this earth as the son of righteousness to usher in a new day. Men ascended the other day in a balloon in order that they might study Venus, the bright and morning star. Why are they looking into the heavens? Men are restless today. They're peering out into space looking for help, looking for a better place, looking for some utopia that does not exist. They only see the inky blackness and the coal which no thermometer can register. They see little specks of light out yonder. And the testimony so far is that these planets are bleak places. But they came down and they said there's a little vapor on Venus that made the headlines. There's a little vapor on Venus. Is that good news? I say to you today that that's all science that men have been worshiping now. That's all it has to offer. A little vapor on Venus and atomic dust on the earth. That's all. That's the future that science has given us this Christmas. You talk about ashes in your stocking, science has sure put it there for us. I point you today to the one who is the bright and morning star. I'm the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. It's interesting that if you keep on reading in Revelation, he says, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Don't get your hopes up. The water on Venus won't help you a bit, or me. But this morning, the one who is the bright and morning star offers you this Christmas the water of life. 
the water of eternal life. And he says, look to him. Look to him. I close with this little story, a very familiar story, the story of Spurgeon's conversion, a snowy morning in the city of London. This young man, a brilliant young man, couldn't even get to the church he wanted to go to. He had to stop in at a little chapel, and the preacher there that day couldn't make it. Must have been a bad day. Preacher wasn't even able to get there. And Spurgeon said later, some fella got up to preach. I never did know who he was. He could have been a cobbler. I think maybe that's what he was, Spurgeon said, but he was a very ignorant man. And he turned to Isaiah, and he read, Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be saved. Spurgeon says that he took that as his text, and it didn't take him long to exhaust the text. He was through in five minutes. He'd said all he could say about it. He said to them, he says, uh, the text says that you're to look. He says, any fool can look. And you're to look to Jesus. You're to turn to him. And then he said the man ran out. He didn't have anything else to say. And in desperation almost, he looked back, and there weren't but a dozen people there. He saw this young fellow, Spurgeon, sitting there. He said, young man, you look miserable. Look to Jesus and be saved. And Spurgeon said, I did look. I looked to him, and I was saved. Transformed his life. Spurgeon says, I saw him, the bright and the morning star. The one garbed in the glory of God who went to a cross naked and crucified for me. Virgin said, I looked and I was saved. This materialistic world today is going to have trouble looking, but if you look, you'll be saved. I'm the bright and the morning star. The only hope in the heavens today is Jesus Christ. As we bow our heads this morning to come to this table today, the table that does not speak of his birth but his death, but he was born of a virgin, and that star tells the story. It tells who he was, and it tells what he did for you and me. I'm wondering today if you need to look to him, here present or listening in today. Wherever you are today, friends, you can look to him. There by the radio, in the car, in a place of business, you can just look to him and be saved. And here this morning, you can look. The Holy Spirit will take the things of Christ and show them unto you. Oh, today, if you need him, look to him. God is calling for you to look to Him and say yes to His free gift of salvation. The question is, will you look to Him today? 
Learn more about this important decision at ttb.org when you click on the banner that says, How Can I Know God? Or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. This is Steve Schwetz wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Join us each weekday for our five-year daily study through the whole Word of God. Check for times on this station or look for Through the Bible in your favorite podcast store and always at ttb.org.